This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Well, good morning. Uh, man, what a joy it is to gather. There are a lot of you here at the 9 o'clock. Praise the Lord. I love it. I love it. Uh, my name is Gabe Boyd. I serve as the Director of Family Ministries here at the Trails Church, as well as the Director of Trails Students. Uh, and it is a joy and an honor and a privilege to get to open God's Word with you this morning uh, and hopefully just learn from it as we get to marvel at some of the things that we learn uh, from the Old Testament. <clears throat> this is not a new practice for us here at the Trails to look at the Old Testament, um, but uh, Really, I need to tell you just a quick story, and I know this isn't shocking when you see me up here like he's going to tell a story, but, but I just, really quick, so about a month ago when Matt called me and he was like, hey, I'm going to be gone on Labor Day weekend, would you like to preach? And I was like, for sure, would love to. And he goes, well, this is great because it's really kind of like this, it's like a, a flex weekend in that we've just finished summer in the Psalms, and then we haven't yet started the Ten Commandments in Exodus, which will start next week. So really, you do whatever you want to. I'm like, fantastic, man. What, what freedom in that? And he goes, but, but you know what would be really cool? <laughs> you know what would be really cool is if um, you took kind of like all that passion you have for families and discipleship, and you, maybe even you just looked at Deuteronomy 6, and you just helped us walk <laughs> through that as a church family. Oh, so whatever I want, huh? Okay, that's awesome. Uh, but man, he, he was so right on because this is exactly what, uh, what my, where my passion lies. Uh, I love looking at uh, Deuteronomy 6. Uh, I love teaching about what it looks like. Uh, the title of my sermon is simply Generational Discipleship. I think that's exactly what we see in Deuteronomy 6. And I hope that as we look at it, that you will be encouraged, uh, but maybe even also challenged. Uh, as we look at what does it look like to take seriously the commands to disciple the next generation. But before we get there, I want to do just a quick uh, flyover and context for us of Deuteronomy 1 through 5 before we land in chapter 6. So if you can imagine, uh, the Israelites have been wandering in the desert now for 40 years. At this point in time, they're standing on the east side of the Jordan River, looking out among all the land of milk and honey, the land which God had promised them. Now what Moses knows is that this new generation that has emerged is going to go into this land and he's not going to go with them. And so he actually takes this opportunity throughout the entire book of Deuteronomy to kind of deliver his farewell address to the nation of Israel. These people that he's been leading for 40 plus years, he's like, man, I just, like one more time, you're going to hear from me before you're sent off into everything that God has promised you. And so really, uh, I started looking at the De book of Deuteronomy, and I started noticing these two really big themes. And, and like over and over and over again, especially in chapters 1 through 6, we're going to see these theme themes of remembering and teaching. Remembering and teaching. Now, one of the joys of being an educator for so long is that I got to attend a lot of graduations. I'm saying that um, sarcastically. Like, if you've been to graduations, they're not fun, especially if it's not yours or someone that you love. But I've endured my fair share. 
And I started thinking about some of the farewell addresses that I've heard at graduations. And normally these would come like from the valedictorian as they're about to go off to college, right? And I started like thinking about all the ones that I've heard and I started noticing there seems to be a theme or a structure to these farewell speeches. I even started to read, like nerding out and reading some like presidential farewell addresses and things like that this week. And it was really cool because this theme of remembering the past and then teaching people in order that they might flourish in the future. It's over and over and over again where I saw this happening. And I started thinking about my own stories, and it's the same practice that I use. I remember stories from my past so that I might remember who God is and how he used that instance in my life to help shape the future and teach me so that I can teach others. This is exactly what Moses is going to do. He's doing it for himself, but he's also doing it for the nation of Israel. He's going to remind them in chapters 1 through 5 of some of the battles that they've fought. Some of them they've won, some of them they've lost. He's also going to remind them of the wanderings that have happened for the past 40 years. Remember, this is a new generation. The old generation is dead and gone. This new generation has to be reminded of where they came from to understand where they are right now. And as he does this, he continues to point them back to God's loving care, his provision, his protection, that he has been with them from the very beginning when they started the exodus out of Egypt. It's this beautiful message that these, this new generation hears of God, God's loving kindness. But there's also some very stark warnings because God knows that we are a forgetful people. This is why we have notifications on our phone. Because we are forgetful people. If we're not reminded, then we will forget. And so actually in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, Moses issues kind of this, this warning to the people. He says, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. And teach them to your children and to their children after them. Moses even knows, man, I'm going to stand here. I'm not going to go with you, but I've got to remind you of where you've been so that you might not forget and you won't let the generation after you forget. Moses understood that if the people were going to flourish, it started with him one generation, passing it on to another generation, the goodness of God. And that hopefully he would make such an impression on them that they would own this and that they would then in turn remember themselves and that they would teach the next generation after them. You've got this beautiful picture of just this discipleship happening through the generations over and over and over again. In chapter 5, he's going to remind them of the commandments, the laws, the statutes, the decrees that God has given them. I'm not going to get into all of those today because, well, that's the next two years or whatever, however long it takes us to get through 10 commandments at this church, but at least 10 weeks, right? Don't miss those. They will be fantastic. But he's going to remind them of these commandments. Why is he reminding them of these commandments? Simply because God had issued these commandments to the nation of Israel because God's desire was for them to live lives of worship to him and him alone. This is why the commandments existed for these people, that they would live lives of worship and obedience to him. It was for their good that they had these commandments. Which brings us to Deuteronomy 6. 
where Moses is going to begin by emphasizing to the people the greatest commandment of them all and what a life of worship looks like when you live it in light of it. So I have one question for us today, and I hope that this shaping question helps us as we even leave this place after we're done worshiping. The question is kind of twofold, and it really covers both of my points today. The question for today is, how are you remembering God's love and care for you? Like, what does that look like in your life? How are you remembering God's love and care for you? And who are you teaching about it? How are you remembering and who are you teaching? So if you have your copy of scripture, I would invite you one more time to stand with me as we look at and read God's holy, inerrant word. These are the most precious words that will be spoken all day today. All day today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Lord, but the word of our God stands forever. You guys can be seated. So here in the very beginning of this kind of farewell address, um, we see Moses make a very bold statement to the nation of Israel. He simply tells them, the Lord our God, Yahweh, our God, the nation of Israel, the one who has chosen us to be his people and that we have chosen to be our God, he is one. It's a very simple proclamation and it's actually, it's actually one that the Jews would adopt later on and that they would actually recite over and over and over again. I wonder why they would do that, maybe to remind themselves that he is the one and only, and the only one for them. This should be true for you and I as believers, is that our God is the one and only, and the only one for our hearts. He is the only one that we live lives of worship for. For no other, there is no competition for him. There can't be. He is the one and only, and the only one. In Deuteronomy 4, just a couple of chapters earlier, in verses 37 through 39, he's going to say it this way, Moses will. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence, by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in to give you their land for an inheritance. As it is this day, know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. Like he's not, he's not gonna pull any punches. Why? Why is he so direct with the nation right here? He has to be. Moses knows that as soon as they cross that river and they enter into this land promised to them by God, this land flowing with milk and honey, that in that land there are people. 
And in that land, those people, they believe in many different gods. And that if they're not careful, the Israelites will forget. They'll forget that their God is the only one, and they will join in with the crowd, believing that their God is one of many. And man, as I'm reading and studying this this week, I'm like, isn't this true even for us? Like, as we look at the world around us, a lot of you guys sent kids off to college in the past couple of weeks. What world are we sending them off into, this next generation? It's a world that believes in many different gods. It's a world where there's a perversion of truth. There are insignificant idols everywhere for them to follow. We've got to remember that he is the one and only and the only one for us. Moses is going to continue, this time with the great commandment. Jesus would actually concur and affirm that this is, in fact, a good summation of all of the law itself. So in Mark 12, some of the scribes come to Jesus, and, and they're, trying to like, they're trying to trick him, right? They're trying to put him in this precarious situation where he might actually say something off. And so they approach him fully knowing, well, the Ten Commandments and the law. And they say, well, Jesus, which, which of the commandments is the greatest? And Jesus just looks at him and he's like, come on, guys. I, like, I know what you're doing, but, but watch this. He says, it's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Because if you'll do that, the rest of them will take care of themselves. If you'll do that, this life of worship and obedience, it will come naturally to you. But only by the Spirit's help. This is, this is what he is telling us today is that if we're going to get one of the commandments right, let's get this one right. This also refers to this idea of um, that there cannot be any division within our hearts. That, that God is not, is not satisfied with just a corner of your life. He can't be. That you're either all in or you're all out. That, that there's not a divided heart where we get to portion off and say, God, I'm going to give you this part of my life, but this other part I'm going to hang on to myself. That's, that's not what he's after. He's after every single part of you and your life. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This word might means very. With all your very. That means everything over and above. So when I was playing baseball in college, uh, I'd always warm me out when coaches would be like, hey, let's go out there and give 110%. I'm like, mathematically, that is a dumb statement. Like, what is that? What are we talking? 110%. <laughs> but right here, Moses looks at him and he says, guys, you have to give God 110% of your life. Like every bit of it over and above what you think you can possibly give over to him. That's what he deserves. And he's right. Deuteronomy 4, again, verses 23 through 25, say, Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. It's gonna, he's going to overtake every part of you. And he is a jealous God. Now, he's not jealous of you, as Oprah Winfrey would say. He is jealous for you. He wants every single part of your life. Not part of it, not the easy, one, easy parts. He wants all of you. You starting to feel the weight yet? I am. The last 
portion of this is verse 6 where he says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now he's used this word heart several times, and you've heard me even read this word heart several times. And it's such an important thing for us to understand. This love of God that we have has to reside in our hearts. Like it's got to be a part of everything that we do and who we are. I was reading a commentary this week and it said, when we give God our hearts, it is a willing choice that we make. And not only that, but it moves us from an emotional attraction into complete devotion. That loving God with our whole heart is not an emotional thing. It is a complete devotion to him. That all of a sudden it becomes this thing that drives our thoughts, our actions, our words. It drives everything about us when he consumes us like a fire. So my question comes back to the original one I asked is, how are you remembering God's goodness and care for you. And students were looking at the book of Galatians. And the way that I started last week was simply by telling them that the gospel is going to be seen throughout Galatians. And I'm going to preach it every single week. Why? Because the gospel is not meant just for those that don't know Jesus, but it is meant especially for those that already know Jesus. It's not the ABCs to becoming a Christian. It is the A to Z of living the Christian life. So how are you remembering the gospel? What practices do you have that keep it front and center in your life at all times? Is the gospel affecting the way that you do life, the way that you think, the way that you speak, the way that you interact with others? Are you remembering what it costs Jesus to save you? Are you remembering his death? His perfect life, his raising from the grave. Are you remembering what is yours now because of what he has done for you? And if you're not, I would encourage you start today. Start today remembering the gospel each and every day. And just see what it does. But this is only step one. That as we remember the gospel, there is a next step that's going to come. Not as a burden of obedience, but rather as an act of worship. This next step is simply teaching. Teaching others about the love of God. More specifically, Moses is going to look at teaching the next generation. It says in verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children. Teach them diligently to your children. What does that mean? It simply means with great intentionality and very carefully. That as we are reminded of God's grace towards us, the natural overflow of worship in our hearts should be to simply share it with those we love the most. It really is that easy to teach them diligently to your children. Now, uh, as the director of family ministries, there are some conversations that we're having uh, of what family ministry needs to look like at the Trails Church. And so uh, to help illustrate and really give you some practical application for what this means to teach diligently the laws, commands, the love of Christ to your children, I want to introduce you to two phrases that some of you may have heard before and some of you, they may be completely new. 
The first one is church is family. Church is family. What we, what we have to understand and what I think is so helpful for us, to, for us to understand is that when you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you have been bought with a price, you've been purchased by his blood, the same as I have. And what happens is this new blood that covers us is, runs deeper than, than even blood brothers and sisters. That you have been invited into a brand new family. And look, as an only child, this was a revelation for me. To, to know that I went from this small little family to this giant family full of brothers and sisters in Christ. That I have union now with God just like every one of you in this room that call yourselves a Christian. This is really important. But here's where it gets crazy is that all of a sudden, if that's true, then every person in this room, every person around the globe that also puts their trust in Jesus suddenly becomes a family member of yours, a brother and sister in Christ. Look, guys, this should radically change the way that we think about one another, the way that we treat one another, the way that we care and serve one another. I can remember walking into my very first community group, or we called them life groups back then. It was about 20 years ago, and I remember walking into this room and seeing a bunch of guys sitting on these couches, and I'm like, immediately started judging them. I was a new Christian. Uh, and, and so like, I'm looking around, and I'm like, oh my gosh, they don't look anything like me. They don't sound like me. They definitely don't like the same things that I like. I, how is this going to work? And the craziest part was that as time went on, what I started to notice about these men was that none of those things mattered. That pretty soon, the union that we shared with Christ was the greatest commonality that we could ever have with one another. That it far surpassed anything that could possibly um, like tear us apart. It was, it was like this consuming unifier within our relationship. Guys, that was over 20 years ago. Some of these guys I haven't talked to in years. But I can promise you I could call them right now and they would come to my aid should I need them. Because we, we've formed like this really deep perspective of them being family with me. Here's the other time that this kind of wrecked me, this idea of brothers and sisters. is when I started looking at my four girls uh, and all of a sudden, like, it changed everything. Like, they went from um, little humans that were talking back or throwing a fit uh, or just making unwise choices to, to potential or current sisters in Christ. My own kids will one day be with me forever, worshiping our Heavenly Father like, what a joy to look at my kids and say, yes, sister, whatever you need, I'm here. I want to help. I want to teach. I want to remember with you the goodness of our God that saved me and you. Like, this radically changed the way I started parenting, the way I started looking at my kids, the way that I look at our students as current brothers and sisters in Christ or, God willing, potential brothers and sisters in Christ. This is why we remember, this is why we teach. 
Because we are family, those of us that are in Christ. So when we talk about generational discipleship, I think there's a couple of other areas. Because Moses is going to point mainly to the parents as he talks about children. But I want to call you back to the fact that he starts these verses with, Hear, O Israel, listen, nation. He doesn't just address the parents, he's addressing the entire nation. So, so you say, Gabe, well, what about some of the older saints in the room? What about us? What if we don't have kids? What if all of our kids are gone? What if I'm a single and I don't have kids? What if we're married and, and we don't have children yet? What, what does this look like for me? Well, I, I'll get to this a little bit more here in a minute, but what I would encourage you is you start looking at each other as brothers and sisters. You find places to, to dive in and serve. If you're an older saint in the room, can I just tell you, you have so much wisdom and experience remembering God's goodness. You've had all of these years to be reminded of his goodness, his faithfulness, and his love for you. Let me tell you, our kids want to hear it. They need to hear it from you. They need to hear it from you guys. They need to be reminded of it. Because if not, then they'll forget. And there's something great at stake if a generation forgets. So again, I would just ask, look for ways to serve the family. Look for ways to jump in. Look for ways to build relationships. Look for ways to let the overflow of God's love for you spill out into your ministry and love for the family that he's given you. The second phrase that I want to bring your attention to is this idea of family as church. When I say family this time, I simply mean anybody living under your roof. Anybody currently living under your roof. Whatever that looks like, uh, it can look a lot of different ways now. But anybody living under your roof, you have a responsibility to see that as your own little church. And the way that I think that we start to disciple within our own family churches is by consistently and constantly exposing everyone under that roof to the gospel of Jesus. That consistently and constantly we continue to expose and remind and teach the gospel of Jesus. You say, Gabe, that sounds great. How do we do this? So glad you asked. So at the trails, we've got kind of this verbiage that we use, and I'm going to give you two really practical examples. In fact, Moses actually lays this out for us in the, in the second half of verse 7. When he looks at them and he says, um, I want you to teach them diligently to, to your children. When you sit at your house, so let me stop right there. The first way that you can expose everyone within your family church to the gospel is to create time and space to have gospel talks. Now, in some circles, they may say family worship. For me personally, this kind of freaks me out. It makes me think I have to be a musician or a singer, and I'm neither. But that's okay. What I can do is I can remember God's love for me and share that with my kids. What I can do is I can read a copy of Scripture to my children. What I can do is teach my kids how to pray and pray for them. These are all things that are well within my abilities, well within yours as well. So a couple of hints of like, what do gospel talks look like? Well, I'll tell you this much. If you don't schedule it, it will not happen. 
No amens on that one? Like, surely we all understand that if it's not on the calendar, it does not happen, right? I mean, this is just the world that we live in. There's so much busyness that if it's not on the calendar, then chances are it'll either get removed from our thinking or we'll just find other ways to fill that time. And so what I'm going to encourage you is, like, within your homes, carve out a moment just one time a week to talk specifically about Jesus. To open God's word and expose your children to it. If you don't have children yet, husbands, expose your wife to the preciousness of God's word. Look, if your kids are in college or they're grown, maybe it's a phone call that you schedule with them every week. Just to read scripture and pray over your kids no matter how old they are. Think about how that shapes the next generation. As we continue to put before them the goodness of God, his grace and his mercy seen in Jesus. One other point I want to make on these gospel talks is uh, to the men specifically. Uh, Most of you will understand that um, you are called to be the spiritual leaders within your home. Now one thing about men that I think all of us need to hear is that it is your responsibility to make sure that these things get done. But you don't have to do them all. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like when I have this list of things that need to be done around the house, it's my responsibility to make sure they all get done, but I don't have to feel the weight and pressure to make sure that I do every single one of them. And so what I'm saying is I'm giving you license to share this responsibility with your wife. Share it with your high school or your teenage kids. Allow them to lead some of these moments. You don't have to sit down and prepare a sermon every week. Just simply open the Bible, pray with your family, and ask some intentional, spiritually-minded questions just to get their brains thinking about who Jesus is and what he's done for them. Men, we've got to be the ones who own this thing. We've got to be the ones that schedule this. We've got to be the ones that make sure that these things happen. Not for our own sake or our own comfort, but for the sake of our families. And again, this goes across the board. If, if there's no kids in your house, that's okay. Man, you and your wife do these things together. If there's no kids in your house uh, and you're single, go find somebody who has a bunch of kids and go see if you can help wrangle them during this crazy time. Okay? Like, there's tons of ways for us to find ways to be intentional with this as we generationally disciple one another. The second way that we want to do this is also seen in verse 7. After he says that we should talk of them when we sit in our house, we should also do it when we walk by the way. Guys, this just means all the time. Like, literally, all the time, as, God, as God's word is front and center of our own lives, then the natural response for us should be everything that we do is seen through the, through the lens of Scripture, that we are constantly and consistently pointing our children and the next generation back to the gospel. That as we are on a bike ride at night and we see the sun going down, we just say, stop for a minute, just 10 seconds to say, look what God did. Look what he's doing. Look at those colors. Like only God does this. Only a good and loving God would provide us eyes to see that. 
And guess what? Tomorrow it's going to come up on the other side of the earth and his mercy will be brand new for you, son or daughter. Brand new. Like it literally is that easy. But it starts with us remembering for ourselves before we can ever teach somebody else. The last bit of encouragement that I will give you is that it is never too early, nor is it ever too late to teach the next generation. That if you haven't been doing this for the past 20 years, start today. And maybe you've been doing it for the last 20 years. Then you go find somebody and help them do this. As a family member, help them do this. Let's do it together. Because that's what family does. So why... Why would I be so um, passionate for this particular um, topic? Well, I mentioned earlier um, the world in which we live in. We don't have to look very far to see that um, the culture is not one of milk and honey. There is a culture that we live in that is uh, daily... um, Attempting to distract us from what's happening right now in this room. And this is the world that is, unless Jesus comes back, is not going to get any better, I don't think. And so the reason that I do what I do, the reason I love this idea of generational discipleship, the reason that Moses was writing this to the people of Israel is he wanted them to flourish in a nation that he knew would not look like them. Guys, I'm just asking like, man, what if this, is, this was the posture that we had? That as a family, like, we're going to do this thing because we care about what happens for the generations to come. And not just the next one, but the next one. What if we reminded ourselves so much of God's goodness and care and love for us that we couldn't help but share with the next generation his love and care for them and then pray like our lives depended on it that it would stick with them in such a way that they wouldn't be able to help but tell the next generation. And the same process would happen over and over and over again. This is why I do what I do. This is why God calls us to be disciple makers. That as a Christian, you are a disciple maker. That's who you are. That's who we are. And so I don't know individually what that looks like, what the application of that looks like. But can I just tell you, like, I look around this room and I'm seeing lots of young faces. Praise God. Guess what, adults? Lots of opportunity. (laughs) It's it's everywhere. Let's take advantage of it. Let's do what God has called us to do. And let's be a people who care about God's truth being carried on from one generation to the next. This is my hope and this is my prayer for us as a church, but us as the larger family of Christ. This wouldn't be just a Trails Church thing. Man, that this would be a global thing that we would understand more and more every day, the importance of remembering and teaching. Let's pray. Father, help us, because we are, in fact, 
uh, a forgetful people. We are, in fact, a people who daily need to be reminded of your love and grace, your new mercies, your forgiveness. We need to be reminded that, um, that you want every part of us, that we have to depend on this grace and mercy. And so, God, I just pray for every one of us in this room that we would long for opportunities to teach. We would long for opportunities to share with the people that we work with, with the people in our own house, the joy that is found in worshiping you with our entire lives. Help us, Jesus. We can't do this on our own. And so we'll pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.